We are going to be looking at chapter 21 of the book of John today. And so if you have your Bibles, you can turn there, but we'll also have the scripture on uh, the screen. Let's, Let's read that, then we'll pray again, and we'll look into it. Um, Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee, and it happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel from Canaan, Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out, got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. So early in the morning... Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize it was Jesus. And he called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? And they said, no. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. And when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple who Jesus loved, you got to love John, he always describes himself like that said to Peter, it is the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he he wrapped his outer garment around him and he jumped into the water and the other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish. For they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. And when they landed, they saw fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. And Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish you've just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dare ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, he took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Let's pray. Well, God, we just ask that you would lead us in this time as we consider your word. Um, God, to everyone in this room, we come from different backgrounds and different experiences, different faith experiences, different perspectives on who you are. And we come from different places in our lives, different struggles, different fears, different successes. And God, I just pray that in this place and in this room that you would just move freely and that the first thing we could all settle on is, is to just sit back and ask you to speak to us. Because our time here would be in vain if we didn't encounter you. And so we've already prayed, we've sung, and asked you to be here. But I just ask that you would move freely and you would guide this time. That we would know you more intimately because we've studied your living word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this is kind of a cool storyline. Well, let me come back to that. Next, this... <laughs> Next week, we uh, are going to be beginning our 40-day observance of Lent, starting with Ash Wednesday on this coming Wednesday. We don't have services on Wednesday, so collectively we'll be observing them starting with Sunday. For those of you not familiar with Lent, it's, it's really simply meant to be a time of self-examination and reflection as we lead up to the resurrection of Christ as, so, as we celebrate uh, Easter here. And in the early church, Lent was kind of a time uh, where new believers spent a season preparing for uh, their baptism. Today, we see it used, uh, depending on the denomination or church, things like that, just most specifically for a time to focus on our relationship with God. Usually marked by doing, doing what? 
Does anybody giving something up, right? Like during a time of Lent, I'm going to give up, fill in the blank. And the reason for that is not only, and some uh, doing in, intentionally something for someone else during that season as well. Um, but really the focus of that has become whenever that thing you've given up, you're giving up as maybe in the spirit of a fast or something like that, that maybe during that time you might normally do X. Instead, you fill it with a time of self-reflection or prayer or asking God to move in this time as we begin to prepare for um, the resurrection uh, that we celebrate. But there's, there's no one specific right way uh, to observe what we might consider a holy Lent. Some may believe, but I just think that there's a lot of room for interpretation on what it represents. And for me, growing up in a denomination didn't necessarily prioritize that season. It's, it's become very helpful for me so that I don't, I don't want to oversimplify it, but so I just don't blow through the Easter season, you know, and go, hey, we need to get new dresses and do something for the kids. Um, that would be horrible when we think about the significance of the resurrection of Christ. Does anybody know why it's 40 days? Anybody know 40 days? Yeah, Dale. Pardon me? It represents the season after Jesus' baptism when he went into the desert for 40 days and was tempted. It was really his preparation time for his public ministry. 40 days he was tempted. He went through the season. The Spirit actually led him into the desert in that time in which he went. And so he was actually being prepared. He was... He was being tried. He was being prepared. It was a dark time. It was a, actually the angels had to come and tend for him after this season. It was, a, it was a, probably a, a horrific time for him to endure as he was being prepared for ministry. And as we prepare for this observance, it actually seems kind of um, apt that we would consider the scripture for John. Because here we find the disciples, maybe even unknowingly in a season of preparation and waiting... But Christ had been crucified, and he had appeared a few times here and there. But they really didn't know what yet they were supposed to do. They knew Jesus had said, hey, as the Father sent me, now I send you. But they, he didn't say, and this is what it looks like, so here's what you need to be about. He didn't do that. And he just would throw something out there and disappear, right? And so they were kind of in this season of waiting, um, not just for the resurrection, but a season of what's next? God, what are we... So then what are we supposed to do? Like we need a therefore in this Bible scripture, right? This happened, therefore, now let's do this. And he honestly had given them specific marching orders. It was yet to come. And so John 21 kind of answers the question, not only if you look through that scripture, there's a lot of insights to what it means to be a disciple or a follower of Christ. And remember, there's, there's, Christianity is not designed where you have believers and you have disciples. Like the, you have believers and then the committed believers are the disciples. It's just like we're all called as disciples, right? This is this, this calling. So it doesn't just tell us what it looks like to be a disciple, but also a disciple in waiting. When they were hopeful, but if you remember, some were hurting. And some were probably wondering. Um, Peter had not yet been held accountable for his Denial. I wonder if that was on his brain. Um, they were waiting for truth. They were waiting for healing. They were waiting for direction. They were waiting for clarity. And so beyond this history lesson that we see from what happened in this experience, it really is, it's an important story f- for us because I think it actually could teach us also how we endure well, how we 
um, live well. And, and, and this is going to be, there's going to be some practical, fairly simple instruction. I don't want to undermine the fuller pictures while we're praying that God would show us. There's a lot of insight here about uh, the future of the church and evangelism and, and, and about living Christ and people coming to see uh, him and realize who he is through our lives and, and things like that. But there are some very practical, just like this is what actually happened and they did, to not just live as disciples, but as they were waiting for what was next. So at the beginning, it says Simon Peter, and we're going to actually offer seven things, all right, if you like to take notes. Seven things that I think we can learn from this scripture. And uh, first one comes from the uh, second and third verse. It says Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel from Cana, uh, the sons of Zebedee and the two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. There are four things really the disciples were doing or did. And then there were a few things that Jesus did. And the first thing in this scripture, do you see uh, something significant as they were enduring, as they were waiting for this next instruction from Christ, what they did? Say that. What? Together. They were together. You see that? They were together. Now, honestly, when I read this, the first thing I thought was they went fishing, which was kind of a cool idea. Um, and I didn't know which one was going to pop up here first because you can't, you really almost can't get over that fact that they were, they went fishing and there's a significance of that. But I think one of the very first things, and Jason mentioned it, was they, they stuck together. They were there. Um, that's a simple concept, but it seems significant. Why is this important in this season? If we've, if I, have, I, have I set that, the storyline up enough? You know what's going on there? I mean, that season of where they are, and they're, they're wondering what's next. They're trying to figure out how to be disciples well with Jesus popping in and out, not quite giving him the full clarity on what's going on, that, that, that they stuck together and they were there. Why is this important? I think there are several reasons. So why is this important? Okay, supporting each other. Well, why is it important in tough times to be there together when we would be able to support each other? I know, pretty obvious. So, so that might be rhetorical. What else comes to your mind? Mm. All right, so they, so they were grieving. They had... They had this close thing together where they were together to not only look for direction and uh, maybe even gain counsel from one another. Uh, It seemed like there was a commitment to move forward together. They stuck together to move forward together, but also to grieve together and recognize together what they were going through. Anything else come to mind? They were afraid they might be next, so they were fearful. And so they stuck together because they were, I mean, they were vested, right? They were all in this together. They were fearful of what was next, of what was going to happen, maybe even to them. Uh, any, what else? Say that again. Okay. So scripture from Proverbs, right? As iron sharpens iron, one man, so one man sharpens one another. So they're able to sharpen one another and continue this process of discipling together. Um, anything else? Hmm. So, why would they want to stick together? I mean, wouldn't you want to just be like, forget you guys, I'm taking this. Any thoughts to that? They were, they were about to, but they, were, they weren't ready to go yet, right? 
I mean, that transition, that handoff, that thing that was going on. Yeah. I think there's a lot of things that come to mind. The reason I ask that is because I have some things that popped into my head, but there are more things going on there that I think we all benefit in different ways why this is important. I think uh, four of them that I, that I was thinking about and just kind of processing this week as I was looking at the scripture is just the first one is, is, is what was already mentioned is the fact that they just had someone to stick together with. And I think um, there's really two major applications of that that came to my mind. Um, the first one is, is um, well, I think the, true, the mark of true mission many times is whether or not you look up and someone's with you or you're with someone. I've had many times in my own life where I start doing something on my own and I look up and there's no one there and I'm like, why is anybody joining me? And I begin to realize that many times that thing is about me instead of just joining. But I have, I've truly, very, very rarely, and I can't think of one in which God has, I, has been proven to have led me into something where it wasn't together with someone else. Um, and so I think, I think in many ways that sticking together is the mark of, of true mission, that if we look up and find ourselves alone, you know, we want to lead, but if no one's following or no one's with us or whatever, maybe there's something off a little bit. Uh, in there, and I think I think that's not absolutely absolute. Okay, there are there are moments, all right, um, but I think that also leads in the second thing that um, if you if you don't have that, then then maybe you're not there yet, and it's encouragement to keep pressing because you know it should be, or it could be that you're not supposed to go at it alone, and if you ever feel like you're just absolutely alone. That's a, certainly a perfect time to just do some serious introspection and serious uh, seeking God. They stuck together. I think something that was important is they didn't allow the struggle to divide them. They didn't start pointing fingers. Like, I would have been like, Peter, you denied him three times. He even told you he was going to do that. But they didn't. It was evidenced here that they didn't allow this struggle to divide them. That they, in that time, they chose to lock arms and go fishing, I guess, right? I think it also marks that they were willing to be part of the solution, that they were understanding that this was a journey that was ahead of them. And I think that, that, that simply that they didn't know what was going on yet, but they stayed together, showed that they knew there was this new way of doing something that they were pursuing, that this kingdom thing that Jesus talked about was something that was uncharted territory for a lot of people. And so in order to press in that together, I think that uh, really showed something. I think Jesus, along his life, really taught them a new way to view community and, and obviously Christian community. So it's incredibly important that they stuck together, number one. So let's go to number two then. They went fishing. <laughs> um, they did. They went fishing. So they're hanging out, and they're just sitting there. And it states, Peter just goes, I'm going to go fishing. And they said, hey, we'll go with you. They were like, all right, let's go. Um, what is significant about that, you think? You got to be louder than that from back there. So is there livelihood? So what is, so what is that, what, so if you were to over-spiritualize that, or even spiritualize, what, what is significant about that moment when they knew they had seen Jesus, he had reappeared, they didn't have instruction, but they went fishing, which used to be the thing they did 
to provide or, or whatever. What is significant about the fact that they just kept fishing? Mm-hmm. Good. They knew how to do what they were doing. They, were, they just went to do that. What else? They didn't, they didn't stop doing what they had been doing. Let me, have you ever just felt like Jesus is wanting you to something and you don't know what it is? Like everybody, like almost every day. And so we start adding things like, okay, I'm going to do this. 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 All these things. Now, to a point, that's a good thing, little things. But major identity shifters, like we're so tempted. We want to do something so big for God. We just go and do it. And then sometimes we get ahead of ourselves. You ever done that? I think there's a lesson in here, a a little bit. Now, I I believe if if God is going to want you to do something ahead of him, that, well, he's never going to, you're never going to do anything ahead of God. But be ahead of what you think you understand of him, he's going to get you there, right? You don't have to worry about that. And, and as, as we look at what we know about God's leading. But I think it's our nature sometimes to get ahead of God. And I was just really impressed with the disciples here. That they were just like, no, let's just go fishing. We're going to wait on what Jesus tells us to do. Let's just go fishing. Let's, let's catch some food. Whatever we do, we'll, you know, we know how to do this. And, and I'm, I'm sure they were concerned. What is going to happen next? And, but they didn't just go start a church yet. <laughs> you know, they waited. They didn't allow it to derail maybe something that had a significant part of who they were, their identity, before they knew what Jesus was telling them um, to do. I think sometimes we panic. We start stressing out. And I, and I think it's important that we just relax. And, and I've said this before, and I have to tell myself this all the time, but I, I hope you, you hear it as well. If Jesus wants you to know something, he's big enough to tell you. He's big enough to tell you. And, and um, he tells us in different ways. He reveals things in different ways. Sometimes he uses other people. My experience is, is God is already whispering something to me and he affirms it through other people. Someone just comes up to you out of left field and says, this is what you're supposed to do. And you go, what? Okay. Saves from God. I'll do it. Be leery of that. Um, but God is just big enough. Where you are in the moment you are. When we talk about mission, we talk about this idea that where you are is where you've been sent. If we're so concerned about what's next, we will miss the moment in which God has sent us into this place for this moment right now. Okay? So for me, it's like they went fishing. I mean, how symbolic is that? Even apart from their identity and who they were. And as Larry mentioned, they were doing what they knew to do. Just do what you know to do. Sometimes we're so concerned about being judged from God about something he didn't tell us to do yet that we forget to do the stuff we already know to do. Like if we want to truly try and represent the kingdom, I mean, honestly, that's why Jesus goes back and says, love God and love your neighbor. Let's do that. Let's build on that, right? Easier said than done, I know. Um, I think why is it important to wait on clear instructions? I think it shows faith that God is big enough to tell us. I also think that See, sometimes those new things become a distraction to us. Um, Jen and I learned a lesson early on when it came to um, owning a, a, a home, owning a house. When we first moved to Austin, we bought a, a simple house. We, we moved here right in the middle of the highest housing market, which is a terrible time. Great time to sell, terrible time to buy in uh, 2000. 
right? Right before the dot-com crash and all that stuff. And we hired a realtor, and we said, we would like for you to find us a nice house just under $100,000 in Austin, Texas. We actually told her that. Like, we actually told her that. She showed us one house without a door. Um, and, um, I mean, that was, I, bless her heart, huh, Jen? Because, I mean, she did not, she was a trooper. She didn't one time say, you guys are cuckoo. Um, so, so um, we've actually found an unbelievable house, had a, a great big living room and kitchen, and they squeezed in four bedrooms like we were hoping to have in this really small four planet. But it was a starter house, right? But it was really suiting our needs, who we were. And then this, I got this weird bug at one point in time, and I started looking at other houses. Just for some reason, I decided to start looking at other houses. And then when I started looking at other houses, I started realizing that um, well, my kitchen isn't as cool as I thought. You know, my living room is just not as big. Then that opening area to the, to the bedrooms and all that that we have, it just wasn't. And I just began to realize that I was, I was content until I started looking for at other things at what I didn't have. And it just didn't seem to meet my needs. And we made a commitment in that time that we we're thinking about moving into a new house or whatever. And we've done a few moves in, in Austin that we needed to wait and make sure that what we had wasn't fulfilling what we needed as a family. And then we would start looking because it seemed like things were, what happened was is those things were becoming a distraction to what we had, right? And it was messing with us and our, our clarity just wasn't, wasn't there. And I think, I think to sometimes just settle into what we know and do what we know to do, that many times that keeps us from being distracted when it comes to God's timing and, and his clarity and things like that. So they went fishing. Next thing, verse 3 and B, that goes on and says, So they went out, got in the boat, uh, but that night they caught nothing. So they were actually doing what they were doing, and it was just a dark season. They were just the whole night. I don't know how many of you guys fish, but if you've ever gone out and just not even had one, not one fish, it's just, it's hard to last an hour or two, much less this whole time. So they went out, they caught absolutely nothing, but early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore uh, the disciples did not realize it was Jesus. So to them, it was just a dude standing on the shore, right? So they imagine this. They were fishing all night. They were busting their butts. They were exhausted. They were tired. They hadn't slept, fished all night at a place they knew how to fish. Nothing happened. And this guy from the shore yelled, hey, try the other side of the boat. I don't know about you. What would your answer have been? You know, might not have been words. It might have been hand signals and whatever. But that wasn't their attitude. He said, hey, you funny, caught anything? And they said, no. And he said, throw your nets on the other side of the boat and you'll find some. Like this guy, what kind of, and it, it doesn't say, so they talked about it and they joked about how the guy was a jerk and all this stuff. It just said when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. I have the question here, how would you have responded? What would have gone through your mind? But we know what the disciples did. They just did it. Why did they do that? Why do you think they, why do you think they did that? I, I think that that whole thing represents that together they remained hopeful. I think even as fishermen, they knew that 
you know, it just takes one, it just takes one moment, one thing, one right place, a right school of fish or whatever that there is. As long as we're out here and as long as there's a net in our hands, as long as we're in a boat, you can throw that sucker out there and you just never know. I went fishing in the bay a couple years ago. Trey was with, with me and, well, I was with Trey, whatever. Um, and we went with a group of guys and we did not catch one fish, no redfish, nothing. And then all of a sudden at one moment, Trey caught a 47 inch red, something like that, 50 million inches, huge bitch. <laughs> and it just turned the trip around, but they were, I think they were hopeful. They just, there was something about their group together that they, they knew they were hopeful that it could happen together. They remain hopeful. Verse six, when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. And then the disciple who Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord's. It's the hardest in those moments. I don't care. I do care. Whether it is just a deep, dark struggle time in your life or whether you're just feeling like there's just, there's just nothing happening. It's just you're numb and you're not hearing anything or whatever it is. It's just the hardest when we don't see Jesus, isn't it? It's just the hardest when he just doesn't seem to be, you know, anywhere. And, you know, my whole life as a youth pastor growing up and stuff like that, you know, you're always taught, you know, when, when it didn't feel like Jesus is there, turn around because he's there, you know. And you got all these cliches, but um, what caused them to recognize the man as Jesus, you think? What do you think it was that clicked? Huh? His voice? Well, they heard his voice, for, possibly. Maybe it re- began to register. They recognized his voice. Now, if you're speaking metaphorically, you may be fully on something there. What else, maybe? When he called them? The miracle? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you know, the scripture really doesn't say exactly what it was, so who's to truly know? But I can't help but wonder if he spoke, something happened, and they recognized it was him. All the dots came together when they looked at his movement, that he was working, that things were going on around them that maybe they didn't expect or they hadn't seen before. I wrote down here that they recognized him by his fruit, and in parentheses put fish. Um, God's movement, that they recognized him by the result of it because he was there even when they didn't recognize him. And I think the spirit works in those ways. He connects dots to different things that are going on. Um, I think somehow in this moment, God's providence, they stumbled upon him. But nevertheless, they didn't recognize him first until they saw this Movement. So what about Jesus? So they were, so let's look, let's look at what we're talking about. So they stayed together and it represented them recognizing there was something ahead together, right? They were able to lick their wounds together. They were able to struggle forward together. They were able to grow together so that for whatever reason, they were faithful with what they just knew how to do at the time. They didn't have any marching orders that was next, which creates the turmoil for most of us. But they just, they didn't try to create their own path, you know. They just settled in waiting on him. I think number three, together they remained hopeful. And then they looked for his signs of Jesus' movements around them. 
um, which then, when they see it, increases hope, increases faith, and ends up pointing you right, right back to him. But there's a few things also that we see that Jesus was doing. And the one thing I know is that Jesus, God is always at work, right? He's always at work. Um, verse 9, when they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Verse 12 said, Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Jesus, before they knew who he was and before he went out there and said, hey, throw the gnats, he started a fire for him, and he started cooking breakfast. He was preparing the way for this next conversation and this next moment. He, he went and he gathered the wood. He got the coals ready. He got the fire at perfect. He even went and got some fish already and had, had provided, well, he might have went fish. I don't know. <laughs> he might have went poof fire. I don't know. Um. But he was, whatever it was, he was preparing the way. The table was set, right, uh, for him. And I think also this moment gives us some really unique insight to how Jesus views us, views his, his followers, his disciples. Um, it's just interesting. I love the scripture. I love this story because, you know, there's different things you do with people that were around food and, and community and stuff that, that uh, equals different levels of closeness and intimacy. Like you can go have coffee with someone and you could go have lunch with someone and you might even invite them into your, into your home to have dinner. But think about it, who you have breakfast with, you know? You have breakfast with your family and you have breakfast with those you have invited into your space typically to be with you and stay over and and to enjoy that time early in the morning with family and friends, those you have invited. And I just love it that Jesus did this. We, I think the lesson is, is that he was already working. We know that. He wasn't leaving them high and dry. But I love that he was preparing the way that he was preparing breakfast for them. So that's the first thing Jesus did there. Well, one of the things that Jesus did there, we can learn from that. In these times, he's not, he's not inactive. He's not unaware of, of your pain. He's not unaware of what you are craving or that you're lacking. Maybe you're struggling. Maybe it's for some really good reasons and you're, you're wrestling with that. He's, he's not sitting there just idle. He knows where you are and what your struggles are. You can have confidence. You know when you're talking to someone and they just respond like idiot things and you're like, you have no idea what I'm even going through. Like that's the opposite of Jesus. <laughs> Like, he, he knows more than we know. Does that make sense? That's a weird thing to get our head around. That, like, he even knows the dynamic. Like, we don't have to go and tell Jesus something and him go, oh, I never thought of it that way. Like, he's really, he's there. He's where you have yet to arrive. Okay? So he prepares the way. And I love this in verse 9. When they landed, they saw a fire burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Verse 10, and Jesus said to them, all the stuff you did, worthless. Don't worry about it. I already got it for you. No. He said, bring some of the fish you've just caught. All the stuff that's going on in your life in those dark times and those wondering times, those struggling times, those wondering times, there are some things that are being, being brought forth that will be used later. Okay. There, your efforts are not in vain. Um, he values 
what's happening and what you're contributing and what you are learning. And it will be a part of contributing to the kingdom. And it is. Know that. So I, I love, and this is the final thought, I love, I love that, how that went down there. Because he said, bring some of the fish you've just caught. So, so number six is Jesus redeems and uses our efforts while we're waiting. And it goes on. So he said, verse 10, bring some fish you just caught. And uh, so Simon climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It's just so funny. I mean, so he's swimming and then turns around and swims back to the boat and jumps in and helps him. And it's interesting. And, and it says, and it was so full of large fish. It says the amount that even so, so many, the net was not torn. And, and I think that this is a promise and, and a reminder that Jesus um, not only strengthened them, but strengthened their efforts in that time. Those things that are, tr- that are tried by fire, um, they're strengthened in those times, and they're used for even, even greater things. Instantly, the verse comes to me that we you know, sometimes abuse as believers. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I mean, like, no, really. Um, If you're waiting on Christ, we just have this promise that no matter how dark the experience comes, that if we're chasing him, if we're seeking first his kingdom, somehow we're able to strip ourselves of all the other things going on. Our nets will hold. Eventually, your your nets will hold. He will be proven faithful. There was hope in that. I hope you can endure. I love the story that all of this happened um, before Jesus reinstated Peter. Do you recognize that? If you keep reading in verse, in chapter 21, uh, verse 15 says, When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said, yes, Lord. He said, you know that I love you. And he says, feed my lambs. And so this was Jesus' beginning to break the ice with what Peter did when he denied him three times. Right, So all of this experience happened between his denial uh, and his death and then uh, his, his resurrection where he, he reappeared. But before he ever looked at Peter and said, we're cool. So all this stuff was still happening in this, um, in this tough, tough time. I think it's a really interesting and very significant a timing of, of this, of this storyline because Jesus came back to him, right? Jesus, you can't tell me that Peter wasn't constantly thinking and carrying guilt and anxiety and shame for all of that. And Jesus came back to him and he cooked him breakfast and he prepared a table for him. And he said, this is for you. And then he sat down And they just had this heart to heart. And he reinstated him. And this was the Peter that led the church. Beautiful. If we'll hang in there and press into some of those things.